0: Welcome to the Smart Money Tribe podcast. I'm your host, Arisa. I'm the founder of smartmoneyafrica.org, a financial education platform tailored to the African millennial woman. But I'm probably best known as the author of two best-selling personal finance books, The Smart Money Woman and The Smart Money Tribe. I love having money conversations that encourage African women to think bigger and become the chief financial officers of their own personal economies. This podcast is a weekly show that will focus on powerful conversations, stories, and practical lessons that teach African millennial women how to make money, keep money, and grow money. Hi, poddies. So in case you haven't heard... The book I published in 2016, The Smart Money Woman, and then turned into a 13 episode TV series that aired last year in 2020 is now coming to Netflix. And i'm so excited guys and i can't stop talking about this and i really really hope that everyone goes out to watch it so we can get our numbers up so i'm really counting on everyone not just from nigeria but from all the african countries especially the ones that i visited during the book tour um and the diaspora people who you know live in the uk or america and Love the book. Please watch on Netflix. We need you guys. I want to see the numbers. So my next guest on the podcast is Bumi Adeniba. She is the marketing director of Unilever Home Care Division across Ghana and Nigeria. She's a seasoned entrepreneur who has been in the corporate world for at least two decades. She's also the first Vice President of ADVAN, the Advertising Association of Nigeria. In this episode, we talk about her career progression and she shares a lot of insightful tips about, you know, growth, how to invest in your career growth, being an entrepreneur, the challenges that come with that, and it's amazing. It's also amazing that she was instrumental in, you know, making sure that The Small Money Woman was funded through product placement because she really believed in the books and she helps Misha and I will always be grateful for that. I hope you enjoy this episode. Yay. Thank you
1: so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here. I always love to start by talking about how I met my guest. Um, So, Sister Bumi. So, I met Bumi when I was at Wimby's. It was the second day, I think, in 2019 of the Wimby's conference. And I arrived at the conference with my mentor um, Tara Faladurute and we're late-ish and we're trying to find seats and then we see like two seats next to um, this beautiful lady and we're like oh are there people sitting here and we sit next to her and then she taps me a few minutes in and says oh um can you sign my book and I was like huh? And she says, "Can you sign my book?" And it was a copy of my second book, *The Smart Money Tribe*. And we basically just hit it off from there. And the most amazing thing, you know, happened after because she she um, told me that she was the marketing director for Unilever in Nigeria and Ghana, and I had been seeking Unilever out to um, sponsor my. <laughs> TV series, I had just converted the book, The Smart Money Woman, into a 13-episode TV series. I'd been seeking them out and she was like, oh my God, I can see how this would be a great fit and all of that. And she made it happen. It was the most amazing thing ever. Um, She's a woman who has really supported me um, since I met her and I'm so grateful for that. So I'm super excited to have you on the podcast.
2: Thank you so much for
1: having me. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I know you're super busy, but I love your story. I love your journey. And I really want my audience to hear um, from you about how you started. So you're one of the best examples of an entrepreneur, so maybe share a little bit about, you know, how you came to be this amazing entrepreneur, how you came to be a mover and shaker in the FMCG world.
2: Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you so much, Teresa. And it's, uh, it's it's so inspiring to be having this conversation with you. Um, and once we were doing the introduction, all of the, how we met came strongly back to me. And I'm going to backtrack just one step, just one of the steps <laughs> that you... So before Wimbies, I would followed you for quite a bit Um, when you wrote the first book and when you wrote the second book, basically because as a matter of principle, whether for mentors that I'm looking forward to, looking up to peer mentors or people that are just doing phenomenal work, I'm usually least interested in whether you know me one-on-one, one, but I can shadow your very good work. So I would sent you a message, I think some weeks before WIMBYS, and I just said, "Well done," I say. You're doing such a good job, and and I sometimes use your story to challenge my my teenage daughters. You know, just that <laughs> doism, that doism. I remember telling you, that uh, oh, that was me who sent you, who sent you that message." So I thought I should start from from that. Uh, thank you for the phenomenal work that you're doing, um, inspiring across works, uh, different women in different walks of life. Well, so um, at the start of my story, it, uh, I like to call myself factory girl. For some reason, I find it i from just describing myself that way because my career started with, um, as a Miami trainee with a multinational, which after my training, I was in the supply chain end of things. Uh, but marketing and translating what the brands do to the consumer, had always been something that intrigued me. So I, at that time, just had a plan to say, how do I transition into marketing? What do I need to do? What kind of books should I be reading now? Um, what kind of people should I be shadowing and following? And so some 10 years into my career, I took a break, uh, went to school and then be more about the commercial end of things and then came back and then uh, moved into marketing and my journey has been that um, since. Why I love the old concept of being an entrepreneur and working for big organizations for me is just the power of multiples right and so everything mm-hmm. around being an entrepreneur or doing within the context of an organization that gives you reach a global appeal had always been one that for me was one of the things that I wanted to do ends working with big organizations where you can shape decisions at such a big scale, you know, in that sense. So that's been my journey um, career-wise and um, what I've done so far now in marketing with Unilever.
1: Hmm. I know you like to be um, humble about, you know, your, your, <laughs> your position and all of that. But mm. what are the biggest challenges that you've had to face? Like being, you know, the marketing director for Unilever?
2: The biggest challenge, and I will say to you that it's still an ongoing challenge uh, for me on a personal note is just really understanding the consumers that we serve. And as very basic as it sounds, everything else that we do after them, that we go on to build campaigns, that we go on to build, whether intellectual property, I mean, you know it very well, having done this phenomenal mm-hmm. work with books going on to do intellectual um, product design builds up on that understanding when you miss it from that point you would have expended a lot of energy you know on things that would not be bull's eye so an ongoing challenge for me first is always do we know what the people we're serving want and are we really mm. giving them the best of our ability so so you see for me it's it's continuous all the other transactional things of um how to do business in Nigeria, issues with port, sourcing materials. Those for me are everyday things like you will find in every other organization. They're tasking, they're stretching.
1: I love it. So, one of the biggest challenges that I've found with women is whether they're entrepreneurs or intrapreneurs um, like yourself, um, the fear of negotiations. So wh- whether mm. we're negotiating salaries or we're negotiating, you know, contracts, there's a voice in our heads that just says, oh, maybe right. I'm for too much, or mm. maybe, you know, um, who, how dare you say that you want this amount? So in your own you know, career progression, have you been able to negotiate promotions, or an increase in um, compensation and all of that?
2: So there are two parts that I would approach that answer from. It's one from when you're joining any organization, and the second is when you're already in the organization. The one where I say go full blast, like don't hold anything back, is when you're joining the organization, right? Because that's when you're creating a baseline. Mm. Is your entry Line and everything else builds after that. So you must first carry that consciousness of, if I joke around here, this is my baseline, right? And the most important factor for me is not even your ability to negotiate. It's not your ability to do research. You will be surprised that for me it's intrinsic. And that's the way that you describe it at the voice in our head Is that sense of, are you the type of person that looks at yourself in the mirror? And even though you are a size fourteen, you're like, oh my wow, I look like a size ten, you know. And then you're walking yourself. <laughs> oh, you're yeah, that kind of person that when you look at yourself in the mirror, you're seeing all sort of what is not working. You're seeing the big arms. You're seeing everything else. And in that sense, it translates into when we sit before a recruiter or we sit before someone in HR and we're negotiating that we just feel, you know what, just give me the barest minimum and you just say, you know what, I trust you, you guys already have a standard pay structure, whatever you offer at my level, it's commensurate, it's fine enough, I won't ask for more. And I say, no, like, do your research, right, know what is the industry standard and please mark it up, mark it up a lot, a lot more than what you think it is. This is how I say to people that you don't go into those conversations when you're joining with just your, yeah, just give me what I want and I'll get by. I start off those conversations with what would be my next role. I'm not even, even if though you have my payslip in front of you and my payslip says I'm earning X today, I will tell you there's a switching cost, right? If I stayed where I was today, I'll be earning x plus so the conversation starts from x plus whether i mean x plus is immaterial conversation starts from x Plus. and then i start to say to you okay there's a cost to me switching there's a cost to me rebuilding credibility and all those kind of things you've got to be able to monetize that there's also a cost to uh, the fact that if i was not switching and there comes a bigger promotion and something I will be considered wherever it's here. I'm going to build, you know? So it's for me, that baseline and doing your numbers. I know people come into conversations and they just say, what's the person in the organization earning? That's what I want to earn. No, I don't want to earn what that person in the organization is earning because the (laughs) reason why you came for me. No, I I want to earn basis, an additional value that made you come seek me. Second point, just before I leave the joining the organization is, know your numbers what is inflation and you know what is the projection you go earn you go negotiate for a job that you're going to be in minimum one year you don't even know what the projection for inflation will be or the cost of living will be and factor that in it means from day one you're any less right Right. because inflation that you've not factored it in so that's why i put a lot of emphasis on baseline switching costs um, what is the cost of taking on a new role and all those kind of work that people are lazy to do? And mm-hmm. after all that said and done, put a booming figure, additional figure. So the booming additional figure is a subjective mm-hmm. one. It's just me. I <laughs> looking you in the. <laughs> There's something <laughs> you're not seeing that I'm seeing um, when I. There's something you don't know that I know that I'm going to bring to the organization. So it's all of all these ad core numbers that are put on the table, plus an X, you know, and I remember a particular HR <laughs> person who said to me, what is this X? I said, that X is a mystery. Are you curious to find out the power of the X? You know, so that's one part of it, like I said, of when you're just joining and setting your base nine. Now, when you're in the organization, the biggest part of Asking for increases is also doing the work and not leaving it to free float, not leaving it to HR, not leaving it to your career sponsor. When you go into career conversations for current year, be intentional about line manager, what are you looking for? Mm-hmm. If your organization is one to 10 and you're aspiring to be an eight, don't let it be abstract. When you're starting out the year, let's let it be a conversation between you and line manager or director to say, What are you looking for that qualifies someone for an eight? That's giving you like 12 months advance to work towards it. And if line manager gives you six items, please go ahead and do eight items so that when you come to 12 months forward, it's not left to, Yeah, we think, we don't think, Is it's there, it's, it's objective, it's not. You know, a feel like this is me assuming that you're already in a very good organization that has value, that's transparent, that is performance driven and has a performance management culture, right? And and I'm putting that disclaimer because again, (laughs) the people who break up and don't get the fair end of of the deal, right? So be specific on what to move me from point X to Y. What are four or five things I should do and do them. The quality of, and the value that you bring to the table. I call it, what is your equity that differentiates you from everybody else and do those. And ultimately, don't shy away from saying, as at this point in time, I think I should be earning more because of the value that I bring. Let me tell you what my final deal on asking for. I say is a 50-50. And I'm going to repeat that it's a 50-50. When you go to have a conversation about I need more, I need to earn more, or when you want to have a conversation about a baseline, you're pushing back and asking for more. It's a Mm 50-50. By all standards, we want children to aspire for 90%, hundred percent 50% is a good figure for crying out loud, you know. So right what are your odds what if you get a yes why are you obsessing over i'll get a no they'll say i'm too um, demanding they'll say i'm too aggressive or whatever word that we tell to ourselves just go for it you know so i'll leave you at that but it's quite an interesting conversation that i like to have but remember
1: it's a 50 50 so why don't you go for the positive 50 and ask i love it i love it i i find that even i have to um have pep talks with myself to say, Arisa, you are worth this. You bring value. You, um, you know, you're, you're working hard. Like you deserve to ask for this number because so I don't know the voices in our heads. I don't know whether it's the way that we're raised. I don't know whether it's society, you know, that socializes us to think like this but when we want to strive for big goals, there's a lot of second guessing that goes into it. It's important for us to think about, you know, the positive side. What if I get it? What if they say yes. (laughs) So moving on, what did you do with your first paycheck? You earned a salary. What did you do with your paycheck?
2: Ah, I remember this daily. I gave it to my parents. Honestly, I I I remember that I just I, I don't know which of them I gave. Whether it's my mom or my dad, but I know it went to my parents because for some reason it's always just been at the back of my my mind. Oh, that's what you're supposed to do, you know. And then they pray for you, and then other earning things that you earn after that just opens lots of opportunities for you. So it's a very straightforward answer. It was it went to my parents. Whether they give it back to me now I can't remember.
1: <laughs> I remember it it, you know? My first paycheck I gave it to my grandmother because oh. yeah, I, I felt like my my parents, what do you need it for? But it was my it was my grandmother that I gave it to me <laughs> she prayed for me. And it was such, you know, an amazing um feeling. Right. So, yeah, how did you make your first one million naira? Like, because you know, when we, um, you know, when we have these conversations, when we post on Instagram, when we, you know, just do the things that we do, I feel like there are lots of stories. Oh, one day I had one naira, I inspired to, you know. Perspire to aspire and X Y Z, right? But I think it's important to also share practical step How did you make your first one million naira? Okay, well, for, for me,
2: because it's been uh, on this end of career, I earning, uh, being an entrepreneur, it came. I think it came as a bonus, and um, I remember clearly it was. I'd gotten to a level where my bonus for that year was going to eat that mark. Hmm, let me remember. Now it was one of either bonus or leave allowance, one of the two rights was the first million that that I that I ever got uh, in that sense. So that's how I, I got my first million ever really? that dropped into Mark. It wasn't an absolute me so million and a fraction, but it came through bonus
1: payout. I, I love it. So what's your investment strategy? How do you decide what you want to invest in and how? Amongst
2: all the other intellectual different kind of strategies that people just, you know, have and write about, I mean, I keep it very simple. So one for me, is always a growth in that sense um, that for a defined period of time, I'm not necessarily in an hurry to get the return. So I'm able to make portfolio choices for medium to long term in that, um, that way. And one other thing that makes it very clear in my head is because I know I'm going to be pushing in eight hours, 10 hours, you know, 11 hours, depending on how many hours I put in, being an entrepreneur, I am working hard. I'm mm. working hard. That's true. I'm working smart. But let's not also forget that I'm working hard. So my money was also sweating, whatever it is, such that when I put the ground and I jump into the course of the day, everything that I need to do, that's exactly what I want my money to be doing Whatever I start. I don't want it chilling. As a, You know, imagine just pictorially chilling, you know, somewhere just having a sweet time by the beach and you're here pushing up, pushing up, right? So growth, it's always, always important for me. And therefore, I, I don't look for short-term quick fixes in that sense. I, I just look for things that I know for a defined period or what I'm working towards, maybe a major project, a family project or something that, that I, I, I've got uh, growth in mind that way. Um, the second thing for me is always also around um, the value. So, I mean, we might say is correlated to growth, but it's being able to look at organizations that basis being industries where I play an adjacent industry if I feel there's a particular organization that I think is is uh is undervalued right based on the kind of values commanded I I I have this conversation with my stockbroker to say just put my money there you know sometimes they're like no you know I don't think so I don't worry put my money in there it's a matter of time
0: quick shout out to our sponsors Bamboo so if you follow me on Instagram, you'll know that my current obsession is the Bamboo app. Because me, I'm trying to get richer, not borrower. And the way the inflation and FX policies are set up in Nigeria, whew, it's become more important to start investing in more dollar-denominated assets. So I'm currently obsessed with Bamboo, this is no joke. Bamboo is an investment platform that gives Africans direct real time access to invest in or trade in over 3,500 stocks and ETFs listed on the US stock market from their personal devices. Bamboo makes it fast and easy for members to buy stock in companies they like, like Amazon, Facebook, Google, Netflix, to name a few. So download the app, guys. This episode of the Smart Money Try podcast is powered by Bamboo. Companies and think, oh, is this
1: a company that I want to invest in? I like what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So, what's your most profitable investment?
2: Okay, right. So I'll give you two answers. Um, First one being at the early stage of my career when I didn't have like a huge pot of you know funds anywhere. It was stock um, and it was just not leading me to some stockbroker. I was also reading and understanding, knowing when to buy, knowing when to sell, you know, just turning around. You know. So there have been times when people have lost a lot of money, but I, I've just been fortunate. I, I didn't even experience that. So I kind of was always able to, I'm buying. And it's also not being greedy, saying to yourself that I'm buying today at X. The instant it gets to X plus five, I'm not going to second guess myself that it might possibly get to X plus six. (laughs) Once it gets to that X plus five, I sell. Now, there have been times when i had waited a little longer, it goes on to get to X plus seven. But what I tell myself is, well, it could have gone to X plus four and I would have lost money. So also defining for myself boundary has helped me. So that's where, when I was starting up, I made significant money. Now, as I started to roll over my investment, my capital, um, offline plans and uh, land has also been good for me. So not land because I want to build on it, but land for an area that I think potentially is going to open up. So at those times, like equivalent of penny stock in that sense, you know, imagine it in land where you just go buy land in some place, somewhere, and you just leave it there and you walk away, you know, as uh, development advances towards that area, as banks start to move towards areas like that, and things are starting to happen, then it appreciates in value. But you know, those are things that there's a lag in between. It's not like something that you can rule around in one or two years. So it's also for me being one that has worked. So you can let's say we figure you can just buy one land, let's use only hundreds. Maybe you bought it at two hundred at a time. You were not stressing yourself to develop. You know, get a plan or anything. And sometime you get an offer and that same land could now be selling for times five or times six, you know, at some point in time. So that has also worked um, for me as well. Finally, I said to but there's another one that I also remember. So being an uh, angel investor, even though I do that for me, being contributing and helping businesses to grow in my own little way, but it's also been useful where you just see an organisation that is, starting know, like a startup. You admire what they're doing, and you say, "Hmm, I think there's something in here. These people are going somewhere." And you know, you offer first your support so you build credibility with them. By the time you offer to be for some equity partnership and, you know, you're sure they have structure. They're not just going to pack up in a day. That has also worked for me. However, it's not been my biggest break financially, but it's been big feeling for me yeah. in that sense.
1: So just investing in other people's dreams. So it might yes. not pay off today, but you know, you're willing to take that risk. And it's also a fulfilling um, prospect. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. So. For me, in this um, journey, in this you know career that you've chosen, I imagine that to become you know the kind of entrepreneur that you've been or that you are getting to this level, what skills would you say that you've had to build to become you know as successful as you've been in this climate?
2: Okay, so um, I could tell you. Educational things, I could tell you courses that I studied and things that I read up, you know, all, all of those are good and I by all means recommend them. But the most important for me is a very simple one of just saying, use the same principle of being a brand manager a marketing person that you use on products, use it for yourself. And what do I mean? Everything starts off as a commodity. We put equity, we put branding, we put all the nice stores consistently and it, it becomes a brand that people are willing to pay a little bit more for. It's the same principle for me of where are the multiples of Bumi that can do what you're doing for any organization that you're in at any particular point in time? But what extra do you bring you know, so it's pausing every now and then to reappraise myself for what new value are you able to bring to this organization, either in terms of leadership, in terms of your understanding of the market, of inside, macro indices, you know, at every point in time. It's been for me the most, the most useful because that's what makes you really bad. That's what makes you not know, get to a point where you've lost touch and um, you've lost connection to reality um, in that sense. So it's the very practical way that I describe it. You will find it funny, but I've shared it in another <laughs> Let me also share You know when we get a software upgrade on our phone, every time whether you use an Android or iOS, that it says to you um, 13.0 is now, it's now available you know, for mm-hmm. upgrade or remember the way that I've forgotten the way that it's written, from the days of iPhone, right? Every time that I got that software upgrade, I would say to myself, my goodness, an intangible thing, a phone is getting an upgrade, Bumi, where is your upgrade, right? <laughs> so every time, <laughs> my, every yeah. time I software my from 11.0 to 12.0, I'm under pressure, I'm like, oh my God, where is your 12.0, Bumi? Okay, now we're going to 13.0, you know, so... I kind of attach that every time that I did a software upgrade on my phone, and it's as basic as okay, your phone is going to thirteen Come on, Bomi, there's something you need to add, right? Your phone can't be ahead of you. I would do the simple things as read a book on an area that I've not been interested in, right? Um, yeah. Review that I had done in the past before with the experience and awareness that I now have, what would I have done better? You know? So I'm using mean, that practical example because it's a very good milestone for everyone that has a phone that every time you do a software upgrade, ask yourself, where is my BOLA upgrade?
1: It's so important as in, this is amazing because I think that as people sometimes when we get successful, in one thing, we just we kind of stay the same, and we don't we forget that it's important for you to continue to evolve. It's important yeah. for you to continue to upgrade your skills, upgrade who you are. Um, so that's that's a really really good one. So we're talking about money, success, you know, um, strategy, and all of that. But one thing I feel like a lot of people learn from is mistakes. Right, so I feel like we learn the most from the mistakes that we've made, and more people need to share stories of um, mistakes, stories of failures. So, what's the biggest money mistake or failure that you've ever, mm. you know, experienced, and what did you learn from it?
2: This is going to be the most embarrassing answer. All right, so let's go. I did a Ponzi scheme once. And um, it's surprising that when I sat back and I looked at myself, like, well, you knew better. How did you, how did you even get involved with this? But what did I learn from it? Uh, it's first, first point for me that I'm glad that it happened at, uh, at the early stage of my career. It happened at the point where it wasn't now or it wasn't, midway into my career where the money involved was a lot more you know, damaging. Second thing is I can now sniff from a distance. Like before you even do the opening conversation of introducing me to something, I can sniff it by a mouth. No, 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 no. If it's <laughs> we're not going, that's too good to be through. It probably is uh, it's too good to be true. So so that's what it's been one that I remember, but you remember earlier that I mentioned that I always attach a milestone to when I am selling, when I do stocks. Yeah. There's been one that, um, I saw short of a big, a bigger break, right? I so and you know I'm like whoops, they told you you could have just, you know, you could have just waited. However, I just gave myself a little pep talk. Yeah, I mean, it's a fifty-fifty, right? You could have waited and waited again, and it could have been. A lot more loss. It was quite a significant loss in that sense, but because it was well above my baseline, above my own capital, I didn't I didn't dwell on it. So those are the two that I remember. But clearly, the biggest one was the Ponzi scheme. You know that was. No, but this circulating problem.
1: At- Describe it like so. What attracted you to the Ponzi scheme? Was it re- the returns timeline? You know the kind of business because. I find that a lot of people don't tend to know the difference between an investment and a scam. And I'm Mm. always interested in knowing, like, you know, what when this proposition was, like, made to you, what was attractive about it?
2: Okay, so one, the first thing was the return was attractive, right? Now, when I was first told, I think it was going to fetch some... Within a month, some between 20 30 percent, you know, those kind of ridiculous interest rate at that time, right? Now, the, the return was attractive, but I was also discerning enough to say, Tell me exactly what you do, right? So that it wasn't something abstract. Mm. And uh, it, let me try, let me see how how it was described at time. It was something related to oil. If I explain it too much, you probably <laughs> really know you it was, but I'm not going to say the name, okay. you know. So they sold. This story of uh, we're redistributing, you know, we're buying so so for me it sounded tangible at the time, right? It's okay. Well, it's not some electronic scheme. So it was it was tangible, right? I, I mean, I should mention that there were people that I knew,
1: people, but, not
2: people yeah. who, who got the first said right? So it's not like, oh, I know this person for Like you having a conversation with me, I know you. You said to me, Boomie, no, I actually got my money are you able show me this is it i got my money but you see with time we now got to know that this thing is all a cycle right so is the first people got in put their money in that gets their money out and it gets recirculated you know so but it was the early was the first set of ponzi schemes that were transversing at the time which i mean i think people are a lot more discerning so it's always the yield and i tell people when you get a yield that sounds too good to be true take a pause. What are you doing in a thirty-day cycle? Like, what will this money be used for, and how does the return come in? If there's anything in between that, that is very promissory, that you know what, we'll just take our word for it. And <laughs> if there's too much, and go speak to this person, go speak to this person, and the in. The because you cannot articulate this is what we do in a 30-day cycle. I, I mean, I can tell you, FMCG, we buy raw material, we convert to product, we sell to key distributors, and they distribute to customers, they pay us, we make money. So straight line, boom, 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 I can tell you. If anyone asking you to come invest in something that is a lot of yield, I can't tell you in a simple 30-day cycle, this is what we do and how the money comes in. I'll tell you to take a pause take a pause and don't be leered by, even if the closest person to you shows you the receipts and, you know, don't be leered by that.
1: I love it because, you know, if someone can like articulate or explain what it is that they do to make a profit, then it is dodgy. (laughs) It's dodgy. Yeah. Okay. So my next question is this, like, what was your first childhood memory of money?
2: hmm see that's the thing around how you, may, you mentioned a point earlier that stood with me i think i noted it down that is about how we raise or something i remember growing up and feeling that money was was infinite you know like you don't have you don't get to a point where you don't have money you know so there was i didn't have any sense of scarcity around me i you know i didn't have any i just had a sense of you do good work i see my parents go to work uh, make plans do businesses and you know something comes in we're fine i go and ask for i need these i get it you know so it just gave me that sense of abundance in my mind which still helps me to carry on in um in that sense aside the typical ones where you get money and you're told, what do you do with it? So sometimes when people tell stories of um, auntie gave me money and my parents took it, my experience was my parents say, so what do you want to do with it, right? So like they will make me plan. I will make a plan what I want to do with it. I'm the one who decides where I will go drop it, you know, so where I will keep the money. And when I go back, I used to find my money there, you know, and when I make a plan. And I also remember them seeding this sense of investment to me, where sometimes my mom could say, Bring your money. If you bring it, and let me use it now. This is what I'll give you back. <laughs> sure. I You can't, you can't believe, you couldn't believe anything on me. I will so own you and nag you till you even have to give me more. So it, it gave me that. <laughs> The first one that I mentioned that abundance of there's always going to be money around you. And the second one of if, if you put your money somewhere and you make a plan with it, you will get more because that's what my mom used to do. She would take my money when she needed it <laughs> and would say, give me back my money. I make sure that I get an extra. So I think it's a why I haven't been asked that question before, but it brings such good memories to me now. I love
1: it. Now that I-, <laughs> I love it. Um so what are your guilty pleasures? Mm. When, when, when you're not investing when you're not saving like what are the things that you love to do with your money
2: experience like I just I just I like that experience of just pampering myself go for a retreat um, my, my shopping will not be the first thing on my mind mm. and even going for the experience, taking pictures will not be the second thing on my mind, you know, just that feeling of I have no care in the world. I go to a place, this luxury, like luxury living, <laughs> you know, it's, it's always the first thing on my mind, right? So I want to go to a place where I can just forget that there's anything happening. And and I, I like a lot of nature. So it, it does. it's not necessarily how expensive, but how Luxurious experiences. So I
1: like to splurge on really taking care of myself. I love it. I love it. I I feel like I'm the same because I love experiences. I love to travel. I love, you know, Mm. things that, but I'm different in that I like to take pictures and make videos because I want to remember it and relive it (laughs) for as long as possible after the experience. Um, and that's
2: true I should learn that from you because I think I'm not getting the benefit of my experience when I do believe in it yeah
1: true what would you do if you won a million dollars you know what would you splurge on what would you invest in so you just got one million dollars tax free Mm. (laughs) and you want Mm. to do with it how do you do this? Mm.
2: So I would put it on the one thing that when I spend my money on, it gives me the most joy. And uh, I mean, no matter how very cliche it sounds, the kind of joy that I have when I use my money to give people not expecting it, emphasis being not expecting it, chance, right? So I am extremely drawn to two sets of people in the in our community, orphans and widows, you know, cause there's just, aside the fact that a part of my faith, there's a clear instruction that tells us to take care of them. So I am so clear in my mind that if I got that kind of money <laughs> now, that, place that I'm going to throw it in that, let me just set up something that helps these people to not just take some money and walk away, but I set them up to regenerate, money you know and be able to sustain themselves and of course there will be a good part of it to that experience let's not let's not even forget that i'm immediately going to think about how am i going to get myself set up for an experience to just explore in that way but it definitely will be um my first investment in just set up something that helps people to spend for themselves and not be dependent on family or on uh, some wheel that go bad you know some family about um properties and stuff like that yeah that 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 ultimately will give me a lot of joy to
1: splurge on oh my god that sounds so fulfilling and and amazing this first this is the first time we've gotten that answer on the podcast so i love it (laughs) what would you splurge on what would what would um so aside from investing and you know doing something you know amazing for other people what would you splurge on for yourself
2: i will go for the first year you know, i'm going to find the person who can create the most luxurious getaway trip ever yeah. you know and just old like travel <laughs> the world exotic exotic places in the world just up down from our place to so not that you know five a thinking
1: about people thinking about it, <laughs> thinking about it. it makes you not want to go to work on one day. So invite it, me, will be invite me, invite me. Let's go <laughs> to a private island I somewhere. <laughs> I know, I know, you know,
2: just just experience nature, travel to places that you only see on the map, you know, just See, see the world. It will be travel for me. Definitely will be, travel. It will be
1: travel. I love it. I love it. Thank you so, so much for sharing your journey, for sharing your investment tips, your investment strategy. I'm super grateful that you made this happen, made this interview happen. I'm so, so grateful because I know how busy you are. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I mean, it's been quite an interesting conversation myself. And there's some of those questions that, like I said, I haven't been asked and just <laughs> been some very good memories. So thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Smart Money Tribe podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm super excited about creating financial content for African millennial women who want to live a fabulous life, but also want to learn how to find the balance between spending on their lifestyle needs and building assets that could protect their financial futures.